0: And that number you can call for free consultations as well. It is uh, 1202 Saturday afternoon. At one time, there was... uh, We should talk about vitamin D deprivation. God. Yeah, we could talk about that for sure. We used to have a sun. We did. In our uh, solar system. I don't know where the hell it went. uh, Yeah. It's uh, time for you to call in. You have some uh, questions about uh, pain, pain management, anything physical like that. 416-870-6400. Star 640 on cell. Dr Lou here till one o'clock this afternoon we all uh, we'll get into a bunch of stuff and we always start the show with uh, kind of a week that was a look back of some cases that came through the clinic
1: yeah um one of the things not not a particular case that I wanted to touch on this week, but one I was I started thinking what are some very common questions that people ask me that I can kind of address here and I'd say probably the most common question that or questions that I get from people is um what 's obviously what 's wrong with me yep. what 's their diagnosis, yeah. and then once you can provide that, how do I get it better and how long does it take right. um, and obviously you know what 's wrong with me goes back to the process of what we have to do mm-hmm. um, first and foremost, we have to assess somebody we have to determine what 's going on to come to a diagnosis. Because as I've always said, once you have that diagnosis, uh, you can make appropriate treat- treatment recommendations. Because the evidence, the, w- the way we work is we work on evidence-based medicine, which means that once we understand what's going on, we um, imply the, the evidence-based approach, which is, which is essentially what's the best available medical lit- literature okay. on whatever's going on to get the person better. What's the clinician's experience? Because that matters. And also, what does the patient want? Because sometimes you may have something where, for example, okay, uh, in this type of neck pain, acupuncture is going to be the best uh, recommendation. But the patient may not like needles. So you have to try to accommodate that. Um, So that's a big one. And obviously, it's a very hard question to answer. And I picked these three questions because people think that there's a general answer. Whereas what I want them to understand is all these answers are very specific. So what's wrong with me is specific to you. We have to go through a proper assessment to figure it out. Um, what can you do? There's often, anytime we make a treatment recommendation, we don't just say, here's the one thing that you can do. We will give you the things, a, a whole bunch of different things. What's most likely to help, what's next most likely to help and so on and so forth. And then a lot of the times it's a combination of here are a bunch of things that you can do. Um, And then how long does it take? Again, is a very, very specific answer because it depends on prognosis. And prognosis from person to person um, differs. And a lot of people understand what diagnosis is, that they understand that they're being told something is wrong with them. Prognosis is how likely are you to get better? Um, And so many things play into that. So if we took the ideal patient, you know, uh, young, healthy Uh, 25 to 30 year old, Mm -hmm. no comorbidities, a very simple issue, then prognosis is good. But as soon as you start getting a little bit older or too young, your prognosis is diminished. If the situation that you have is a more chronic situation, a lot of people come in with a problem of, you know, five, six, 10 years uh, going on. And they think that, you know, two, three Uh, types of treatments or things like that can get them better. Like That's not going to happen. It's got to be realistic. So the more acute a scenario is when you present to somebody, the more likely you are to get better from it, uh, that there's no complication. So when we look at, say, something like back pain, If you had back pain that was just localized to the back, your prognosis is better than if someone has low back pain and they also have leg pain because now it indicates potentially nerve involvement or a referral pattern. Um, And so those things matter to how many treatments, how long it takes for someone to get better, how likely they are to get better. But what I really wanted to highlight was that this is the reason why I'm here. This is the reason why I'm available through one 55 doctor Lou all the time, is give me a call. We can have that more specific discussion. It's, it, I get emails, can you talk about on the air how how long it's uh, going to take you to get better if you have pain? Mm-hmm. It's, it's so hard. It depends on yeah. where the pain is coming from. So uh, if anyone out there is wondering what's going on with them, they just want a consultation, a second opinion— Give me a call. Uh, Let's get in touch. I'll do my best to get back to you within 48 hours. We can have a discussion. And if it's something that me and my team can help you with, great. Uh, If not, then we'll send you to the right people. I have a a health network all across the Golden Horseshoe of different types of healthcare professionals dedicated to pain management. And if you want
0: to uh, discuss here over the next uh, little less than an hour, you can uh, come on the air and do so. Like Jamie here in North York. Hi, Jamie. Good afternoon.
2: Hi. Good afternoon. Uh, Thank you for taking my call. No problem. Um, you know, for the last uh, year I've been suffering from uh, mechanical pain and I've had um, actually down my leg and, you know, on my uh, left knee I've been having a lot of pain where I've been not been able to go to work because I've been having a lot of hard time standing in my uh, work because I work in a car detailing shop where where you're always on your feet and you're using using your muscles and you're constantly, you know, like bending. And I think this issue with my work has, um, for some reason, it's been affecting me where it has been taking a toll on my life. Okay, yeah. And I went to the doctor, I don't know, three, four times, I was on a medication called diclofenac to help, Um, it it, it did, but then when I go back to work, like say I was off for two weeks and then I go back to do my occupation, after a week of me working, say, 40 hours a week, Mm -hmm. I find that the standing um, in my, you know, constant standing and bending has really jeopardized um, my um, overall health and I've been having a lot of times where it's just been going on and I've been feeling very upset that I'm not getting the proper medication and do, do you guys know as to what um, what treatments can I do so because mechanical pain, I think it's just wear on the muscles.
1: Mm-hmm. So, so, Jamie, a couple yeah. of things here. Um, sure, sure. You know, first, it kind of goes back to what I started with uh, yeah. as we were talking. It's obviously every every case is very different. Whatever the mechanical pain is, is very different. Right. One of the things to understand about medication, which has a role in pain management, 100%, mm-hmm. it helps to mask a symptom so that you can do things actively to get better. So any type of mechanical pain or yeah. physical pain, I always say, needs a physical intervention. So oftentimes, okay. patients will uh, present somewhere. They're given a medication. They're also probably recommended to do some type of rehab, but they opt out for just the medication component. That's not going to solve the issue. It's just going to block the pain for a period of time. And as you take that medication over and over again, your tolerance to that medication also increases, um, which means that you're not going to be as likely to respond to the same amount. Um, I think we're going to take a break right now and so yep. we can keep tackling this when we get back.
0: You bet. Uh, Jamie, moving forward, one eight five 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 five. Doctor Lou drlou give Dr. Lou a call, get that consultation happening. And if you'd like to call in until uh, 1 o'clock today in the Dr. Payne Show, 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. Talk radio, ma'am 640. It is 1214 Yeah, you can call through now 416-870-6400 star 640 on cell to talk to uh, Dr. Lou here on the area has uh, some concerns health concerns pain concerns bring him on it'll do his best to uh, to answer you before he moves the point to the uh, the clinic which by the way free consultations 855 55 Dr. Lou d r l o u and uh, go to info at paincarecanada.com. So yeah, talking to, or at least continue on where Jamie left off with pain management.
1: Yeah, for sure. So, and, and, and I was saying about how a lot of people, they're often given uh, a a pain medication and then told to go do some type of rehab. And, and really the medication is supposed to function in a way that you can use it so that it can mask the pain a little bit. So you can do those hard things that are required in rehab to get better. And a lot of times uh, patients opt out to just choose the medication option because they think that that's Mm -hmm. the the whole answer or it's you can either do one or the other Uh, but any physical type of problem i I always say like it's so hard to think of a scenario where it's not needed but a physical mechanical problem needs a physical mechanical solution you need to be doing uh rehab and when i say rehab that's a broad class of therapies, you know, including chiropractic, physiotherapy, massage therapy, exercise, rehabilitation, different modalities, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but you definitely have to be doing those things in order to get better. And kind of, you know, and, and Jamie touched on another thing where when he goes to work, he gets reaggravated. Another yeah. thing that should be part of... Of uh, treatment is identifying what the aggravating factors day to day are, uh, not so that you can necessarily remove them completely, but so that you can modify things the way that you're doing uh, in order to um, n- make it so that it doesn't have that effect on you. One of the things that we do um, is is we and is called a uh, job demands analysis. This is where you would go in, you would look at what a job requires in order for you to do it. For example, if you were uh, a, a DJ probably part of your job is sitting for a prolonged period of time part. right <laughs> or all In my of it. belly part uh, <laughs> and and now that's a very easy job to do yep. a physical demands analysis on but obviously other jobs can become more complicated and then what you have to do is call the functional capacity evaluation of the individual. Okay. And what you're essentially looking at, you you now have a list of, okay, what is required for this job? And then you check the person's capacity and you say, okay, here's what the person can actually do. And you try to look for where there's discrepancies between those two things um, so that that way you can make a recommendation on any type of limitation or modification. This is very, very common. We treat a lot of people that um, are hurt in work accidents. And one of the things that we have to do is get these people reintegrated back to work, Mm -hmm. going back to work. But when we do that, we do that in a way where we usually offer some type of uh, uh, restricted duty or limitation and then gradually start reintroducing the person into into their full line of work. And for whatever reason, when when you go through WSIB, this is mandated that it's done this way. Uh, but a lot of people who are just getting hurt at work and then going to seek their own treatment... You can still have the clinic intervene in such a way where you say, okay, you know, here's what I do at work. Uh, should I be on any limitation? And and that way that healthcare professional can communicate with work and just basically say, you know, here's where we're at. Here's where this patient's at. Uh, they probably would benefit from not doing this, this, so and this. the accommodations
0: this. need to be made.
1: Yeah, and, and yeah. accommodations need to be made uh, uh, between the employer and what is required mm-hmm. of the patient's uh, needs. And obviously, it's it's a you want to work together. Everybody's got to be involved: the healthcare professional, the patient themselves, and work uh, so that everyone's on the same page. And in my experience, most workplaces are willing to try to accommodate so that they can keep somebody healthy. Well, if it's a doctor like yourself, it's duty to accommodate. They have to legally accommodate. Yeah, they have so. exactly. They yeah. do have to to legally accommodate. So, uh, and most. People are willing to do that. It helps the person reintegrate back to Mm -hmm. work the full time. And that's where the difference is with a lot of clinics um, is that, yeah, if it goes through WSIB, it's often dealt with this way. But in a scenario where you're going somewhere for treatment on your own. It's just not; they're not following the same types of guidelines. Right. Uh, when the healthcare professional could still use that type of guideline, and and again, and it doesn't just have to be work; it can also be stuff that they're doing wrong at home. So this is where the conversation between patient and doctor, or patient and healthcare professional, is so important, so that you can identify what are the things that are going on day to day, whether it's at work or in your other activities of daily living. That are aggravating your pain, and then get the specific recommendations to alter those things so that at the very least you can start to manage that area. It's like a headache diary, you should keep a pain diary, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point that, uh, you know, keep a record of what's going on. When does your pain present? When is it worse? Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we do when we interact with uh, a patient initially is we often ask about, Um, aggravating factors and relieving factors for that very reason we want to understand okay where's this being brought on so that that way we can make a change immediately and what minimizes it yeah yeah,
0: 6400 uh, star six forty on sale. Got open lines. You want to call and chat? You got an issue? Uh, feel free. Bring it on. We'll talk to uh, Doctor Lou here. He'll help you along with it for the next forty minutes or so. It's the Doctor Pain Show Talk Radio AM six forty. That is the number you call. Free consultations to get a hold of uh, Doctor Lou. You want to chat here over the next half hour or so? Four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred star six forty on sale. Let's talk about your services a little bit because we yeah, haven't been uh, sure. neglecting that lately.
1: Yeah. So so specifically with with me, what I what I basically spend most of of my time doing almost all of it is a couple of different things. Number one, free consultation. Mm-hmm. So, what is a free consultation? Because a lot of people are confused about that. Free consultation doesn't mean you have to book in, come see me, take a day off, any of that stuff. It just simply means call 1 855 55 Dr. Lou or email at info at paincarecanada.com. Uh, either send me an email detailing what's going on with mm-hmm. you, I'll take a look at it. Uh, and I'll make a recommendation based on that. Or same thing, give me a phone call, uh, hit option two, which leaves me a message. I'll give you a call back. We have a discussion. Some people prefer to email. Yep. Some people want to have a discussion. Whichever way, doesn't doesn't matter to me. Um, we can then have a discussion, just so I kind of understand a little bit. Uh, in the free consultation, I can't make any specific recommendations to say, hey, here's what you have to do to get better. But if it's something that, based on our conversation, uh, I identified this is something that I can help you with, the next step is the assessment. The assessment is where you actually come in to see me. Um, but before we get to that assessment, a lot of people call me with a lot of different issues. Uh, and if, I, if it's not an issue that I specifically deal with, then I'm just going to send it to somebody else so that there's no time wasted on anyone's part. And oftentimes, from the assessment perspective, I like to take on assessments that I know I can make a difference with. It's just good business sense, too, on my end, because I want to help people. Um, so if I'm talking to you, I think, yeah, this is something that I can assess and probably make a good recommendation for you. Then the next step is an assessment uh, where you book in with me. And I'm currently in the process of, uh, up until now, I was doing my assessments just out of uh, one clinic in Etobicoke. Yep. Uh, I'm currently working on a process to set this up so that I can do it at a bunch of different clinics across, uh, you know, Southern Ontario to make it a little more convenient uh, for people. And I'll and I'll keep everyone inform, informed on that end. Uh, but so what would happen is you come in, have that assessment. What's an assessment? An assessment is I'm going to go through a thorough history. Um, Thorough history means talking to you. I got to figure out, I got to do my detective work. That takes a Uh, while just by itself. uh, Yeah, a good thorough thorough history is is half an hour. You know, Mm -hmm. I believe it was, um, who was the healthcare professor? It might have been Sir William Alster that once said um, that, you know, listen to the patient, they're telling you the diagnosis. And that's something that's missing. A lot of people, you got to understand the full extent of everything that's going on. So thorough history related to the complaint, past medical history stuff, family history to take a, a consideration into genetics, et cetera, et cetera. We go through all of that. After I'm done talking, doing a history with someone, I now have an idea of, okay, what's most likely to be going on with this person? Uh, and then I do a physical exam. That physical exam is always going to include things like a posture observation mm-hmm. uh, and just generally observing for, you know, any scars, lesions, anything that may point me in a certain direction. Uh, then we're going to move on to range of motion of of different joints of the body just to see the functional capacity of the person. Neurological examination, big thing that's often missed uh, and can pick up so many things. That's where I'm going to test things like reflexes. Um dermatomes which are sensation uh, areas in the body myotomes which is the motor component what makes you move uh and then also what we would call some upper motor neuron testing which is looking for anything that may be uh, more seriously wrong in the spinal cord or into the brain after that you go into specific orthopedic testing um, and some other special testing if i feel like you need more testing like an x-ray you're going to get one ordered only if i feel it's clinically indicated um and then after we've done those two processes, we come up with a plan of management. Plan of management is then, okay, here's what you you have to do to get better. Um, there's no commitment to do that with me or my health network. I'm simply going to make that recommendation. A lot of people at that point want to stay within my network. And then I will pick, a, you know, I'll have a discussion with them. Where are they coming from? Uh, you know, and we'll look for that healthcare professional that's closest to them or the team that's closest to them in my health network. Uh, another big thing that people are just calling for is second opinions. They have an MRI, they have something they've been told, uh, what's wrong, they've been given recommendations, or they've been recommended for surgery or whatever, and just want my opinion on, on, is that the best thing? Very similar to an assessment, except these people are coming in and already know their diagnosis. Right. They're they're coming in, they're saying, hey, I have a disc herniation, here's my MRI, I've been told to do, for example, decompression therapy, what do you think? Uh, And that's just a quick second opinion, that's that's something that, you know, again, you don't have to follow my recommendation, but, you know, I've, I've... I've encouraged my own patients to get second opinions because nobody knows it all. Um, and so that's another service that I'm going to offer. And one other thing for our people who are listening that you know either uh, help run a business or own a business or are involved in the HR departments, I do a lot of speaking engagements. I get a lot of different companies that want to have me go out, speak to them Um about a topic that they have a specific interest in, mm-hmm. or they want to identify with their workers. You know, for example, if uh, if it was a roofing company, they may say, "We have a, lo- a lot of low back injuries. Can you educate our people on right. things that they can do?" This is absolutely free. I anybody listening, if you're interested to have me in a speaking engagement, give nice. me a call one eight five five. Five, five Dr. Lou or info at paincarecanada.com. We'll set up a time. Obviously, I have to be available. But as long as I'm available, uh, usually these things are about an hour to two hours long. I will come out to your workplace. You can put together as many people as you like. And I will talk to everybody about whatever it is you want to do. And it's absolutely free. It's not going to cost the company anything. I'm big on education. This is why I do this radio show. This is why I do the things that I do. Uh, and public outreach for me is is a very, very important, and I want to educate the public. I'm sure you've seen some crazy things I've in workplaces. workplace. A, I've oh, wow, seen, you guys I've need seen to be doing this. Of, yeah, well, yeah. See, I see a lot of crazy things, you know, within the clinics, within the workplaces. There's a lot of cases out there that are uh, horribly mismanaged, for yeah. sure. And, you know, one of the big things, corporate wellness is starting to grow very, very much. And a lot of it is tailored around uh, get this person in to lead this class or get these new chairs and da-da-da. It's all baloney, in my opinion. Education is the key. Most people, the research is consistent showing that if you can educate people on their issues or the things to do right or wrong, that's what's going to have the biggest impact. So, you know, you can give someone the most expensive chair, but if they don't take a break from sitting, it doesn't matter how good the chair is. And and they have to understand that.
0: Yeah. We'll take a short break again. 1 855 55 Dr. Lou is the number for that free consultation. Get on it and to speak to us here up till 1 o'clock this afternoon. You know that number 416 870 6400 star 640 on the cell. Dr. Payne, Dr. Payne's show right here, Talk Radio AM 640. 1232. Got uh, some open lines. i love to hear from you. 416 870 6400 star 640 uh, on your cell.
1: Uh, John, one of the other things that I, I think is very important to address here—one of the, a lot of times people that are calling me or contacting me are not contacting me necessarily for themselves, but someone a care, a right. someone that they care for, uh, whether it's you know their their child or their parent um, or you know whatever—and they just you know they understand that that person's at their wits end and they want a little more information. Um, And I think that that's great, and I I encourage people, if you know somebody, uh, you know, obviously speak to them, I think is important. And let them know, Mm -hmm. hey, I think we should contact this person. I can do it on your behalf. Uh, And give me a call. Talk to me about the scenario, uh, and let's see the recommendations. But, you know, a call to action to those of you who have people you care for that, you know, There's a lot of times that our loved ones don't care as much as you may care, uh, and so you want to take that initiative, and I think that's important. That's another good reason uh, to give me a call, and I know a lot of times people, for whatever reason, think they have to wait till Saturday at noon to give me a call. Again, you can call me at any point, leave me that message uh, with your contact uh, number, and I'm going to get back to you. Again, one eight five 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 five. Doctor Lou D R L O U
0: is that number for the consultation info at paincarecanada dot com. You know, we kind of joked about it at the start of the show, but uh, I mean, it's it's been a bad couple weeks. May's been pretty crappy already, but yeah, people do get down. There is that seasonal uh, disorder and the vitamin D thing and the sunshine. Sure. What do you think yeah. about all that?
1: Yeah, well, you know, there is good research uh, to support that uh, seasonal affect disorder. That you know, as uh, uh, the temperature changes. And, and, you know, it is a little more related to the fall months also because the days get shorter um, from going from longer to shorter. And, yeah, there is a link to the vitamin D component. Vitamin D is very, very uh, important. It See, they call it a vitamin, but when they've actually looked at it, it actually functions almost more like a hormone in the body than it does a vitamin, which is very important because hormones are essential uh, to our endocrine system um, and and our body function. And vitamin D, our best source of vitamin D, is the sun. Um, And, you know, it's interesting. I don't believe that there's any links... Uh, per se, in the medical literature that will support what I'm about to say. But when you consider it, it does kind of make sense. When you look at neurodegenerative uh, diseases, say something like a multiple sclerosis, mm-hmm. they have found that uh, the incidence of it are uh, is most common in climates like ours in Canada. Um, and there's no research to indicate why that exactly is. But, you know, I, I do think that um, the role of vitamin D in health uh, is very very important, and that limited exposure of vitamin D that we get during those months uh you know again does affect us psychologically and can for sure affect us on from a physical perspective and It's just interesting that uh the incidence of those neurodegenerative things do seem to uh have a higher incidence in climates like ours in canada uh, and I wonder how much of it is related to the lack of uh of sun exposure, specifically the vitamin D. Psychological, for sure. That's probably why there's three hundred thousand pubs in the UK. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean, yeah, yeah. every time
0: you turn around, there's a pub on the yeah, corner. Yeah, for sure. How about
1: arthritis? I've seen a lot of this lately as well. A lot of swollen joints. It's a weird thing treating that, no? Yeah, it's difficult. Again, arthritis. Okay, anytime someone presents with a swollen joint, you again have to figure out. You can't assume it's right. just arthritis. It also depends on what joint is it, um, and so. You know, arthritis um, is a very broad term, and, and I like to separate it in two class classes of arthritides. You have what's called the osteoarthritis, mm-hmm. which is probably the more common one that people have heard of. That's the wear and tear, right? That's the stuff that we all uh, really, uh, you know, get some of it at some point in our lives. And we're told about arthritis in a lot of different parts of our bodies as the source of our pain. Uh, for example, you know, we get tons of callers here that say, "Yeah, I was told I have degenerative disc disease." In my low back, and that's why I have back pain. In the spine, it's it's very hard to say that the arthritis is for sure the cause of the pain. When you start looking at areas like the knee or the hip, if there's significant arthritis, um, it, it, there is a higher correlation to suggest that that's the cause of the pain. Uh, but then another component of arthritis that you have to consider is the autoimmune stuff. So something like a rheumatoid arthritis mm-hmm. uh, or a psoriatic arthritis or an ankylosing spondylitis. These are things where the body sometimes, for whatever reason, has an autoimmune um, attack on itself. What that essentially means is the immune system of that person's body uh, starts to attack itself. And this is, there's a lot of different autoimmune uh, disorders, but a class of arthritis are just related to. Oh. Um, To autoimmune, like rheumatoid arthritis. This is when your body starts to attack the joint itself. And it creates the same wear and tear, except it's created from an internal factor. It's not created from a mechanical factor. So, you know, if you were a runner and an avid runner and, you know, we saw arthritis in your knee, it makes sense why your knee has broken down. Uh, But sometimes you can have someone that's very young and you look at their joint and it's severely degenerated. uh, And it can be related to an autoimmune uh, component. Now, there's other signs and symptoms that often go Uh, along with autoimmune issues, Uh, but it's, you know, when you look at a swollen joint, you can't just stop and say for sure, yep, that's osteoarthritis, that's just normal wear and tear. No, 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 you got to investigate. It could be autoimmune, and if it's autoimmune, you got to stop that autoimmune attack on the body itself uh, because the long-term consequences uh, to that area of the body uh, can be significant, and you want to minimize that. And a lot of people have uh, autoimmune disorders going on, and, you know, with, with autoimmune disorders, it, the best um, kind of guess that we have at why things happen from a, um, an autoimmune or a lot of things, there's something in health called the, the two-hit hypothesis, mm-hmm. which essentially says, you know, because we've all heard of is it nature versus nurture? Is it genetics or is it environment? Which one is the more right. important thing? The two-hit hypothesis basically says that it's both. You have to have some type of genetic predisposition and then something in the environment that triggers that genetic gotcha. to, to come to Seems fruition. To yeah. Um, and that, again, is just a hypothesis. It's not law. It's very hard to prove these things. But I think it makes good sense. Um, and, you know, a lot of times when I've met people with autoimmune disorders, they come to, um, you know, experience them. After a period of stress or something happens, which to me suggests that that two-hit hypothesis, although we can't say it's absolutely a law, probably does play a big role in health. Mm. That having a genetic predisposition that's kept at bay, uh, but then triggered by some type of an environmental factor, right? And so uh, a lot of this stuff exists uh, where you have to look at genetic predispositions and tie them into the... um, uh, the the environment that they're in. And they do do this stuff with some people, say, for example, like breast cancer. Uh, you know, if, if someone's diagnosed with breast cancer, they'll then uh, suggest that their kids, if they have daughters, get checked for, you okay. know, BRCA1 and BRCA2, which is a genetic component to breast cancer for that very reason. That way they understand, okay, if there is a genetic predisposition, what are some environmental things you can do to to, to m- diminish oh. the likelihood that that genetic component uh you know, gets activated. So it, it is important, and they do have uh, certain things that they will do this for.
0: We'll take a we we'll quick one 416 870 6400 star 640 on sale. You can give us a call. We'd love to hear from you up until one o'clock today. It's quiet. We got open lines. And for that free consultation, 1 855 55 Dr. Lou, D R L O U, or info at paincarecanada.com. Drop Lou an email and take it from there. The Dr. Pain Show Talk Radio, AM 640. It is 1244 on Saturday afternoon. We'll get to get right to you. Caroline, good afternoon. How are you?
3: Oh, hi. I love you, by the way. I love the show. I hope you're always on the air. Thank you. I remember you, Dawn. You used to be on q on Saturday. I still am.
1: Great. beautiful voice. Mm-hmm. Great. Great. I, Only 18 I thought she years, was complimenting yeah. you, but she likes you, John. <laughs>
3: I love the other guy. He a great voice too. But above all, the reason why I'm calling my poor mom, she's in her 70s and she tried to call in, but she couldn't get through. But I really worry about her because uh, she's got a lot of arthritic pain mm-hmm. and uh, it's to the point where she can hardly walk. Okay. But, but she doesn't want to take all the, you know, the painkillers that are really, you know, addictive. So I just wanted to know what you can suggest to help my mom. Sure. If you have any pain.
1: So, can, where is the pain exactly?
3: Well, in her leg. She's. My mom said she's got a lot of. First, both me and my mom had my um, scoliosis. Yeah. That's one thing. But the pain mostly is in my mom's uh left leg, and it's around her knee. But she's got she's got this thing called um. Oh, I can't think of her name right now. Okay. I can't. Um, uh, my uh, sciatica. Okay. Yep. Yeah. 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 So, what can she do to help that?
1: Yeah, so again, sciatica is a general term that basically tells us that a patient has leg pain often related to the sciatic nerve. What you then have to do is try to figure out what's irritating the sciatic nerve. Uh, Could be something like a a tight muscle uh, higher up around the glute area. Could be something in the back like um, a disc herniation or stenosis uh and so that's the harder thing right this is where uh, i was kind of talking about this is kind of the example of a consultation so you're talking to me we're going down this line and now my next thing that i would probably say is that's where an assessment's needed because i would have to look at your mom and try to figure out exactly what that irritation is being caused from Uh, because it may not necessarily be arthritic if it's stenosis related stenosis can often be an arthritic process, uh, but let's assume it's something else, like a tight muscle. Well, then it's not an arthritic process, and so uh, you know these. And, and this is kind of the the issue with pain, and not not your fault, but just in general the way we've come to accept it, um, is that not all pain is the same, and so we have to figure That's out what the exact what I always say is the pain generating source. What's creating the pain? Uh, for the person, you know, in, in the example of the knee, if let's say it is arthritis, that the, the joint is, is really worn down. Well, this is an example where knee replacements are where, you know, I always think surgery should be a last, um, you know, option, obviously. I agree. But, but sometimes it's the best option. And so for something like a very severely arthritic uh, degenerated knee, Uh, oftentimes a knee replacement is one of the best things that you can do. And I work closely with a couple of surgeons who just dedicate their time to knee uh, surgery and, you know, it, the, the outcomes are very, very good. Now, that's assuming that it's that severe. I'm just talking uh, or thinking out loud based on uh, your mom's scenario. But what we would really have to do is, is try to figure out exactly where her pain is coming from. And then once we understand where her pain is coming from, then, then we can make the recommendations on, okay, here's exactly what you can do to get that better. So um, that's kind of the step. Does that make sense?
3: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I just say one thing? My mom mentioned, I, I was sorry, I, I was in the bathroom. I didn't quite hear what you were talking about, talking about something about auto immune something. Yeah. But, yeah, but I think my mom's got that because my mom's got, if you have a thyroid, she's on thyroxine. Yep. Maybe that's got everything you do with her pain, maybe.
1: How old's your mom? She's,
3: she, <laughs> she doesn't want me to tell her her real age, but she's oh. 75.
1: Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um. Autoimmune stuff is not, well, it depends on which ones, but, you know, not as likely to rear its head uh, that late in life. Uh, A thyroid issue is not necessarily an autoimmune issue. Uh, But again, these are all, this is part of the conversation and trying to figure where I do my detective work, where I go through everything to try to figure out exactly what's going on. And I don't make any, uh, you know, preconceived determinations. I I try to look at every patient and start from scratch and say, okay, what are all the possibilities here?
3: Oh well, you're, I think you're really great, and you've helped me a lot. So, what can I, what can I do to get my mom to come see you?
1: To- yeah, give us. A, well, if you've left your number with the call screener, uh, I'll get in touch with you. I try to call uh, back okay. everybody that calls into the show just to follow up with them. Uh, so, I'll do that. Uh, you know, in a few days, uh, and then we can have that conversation.
3: Okay. Thanks for talking okay, no my mom, and you're yep. great, and I love you guys. Thanks,
1: Bye. thanks, Caroline. You're
0: a doll. We'll get to uh, we get to Ian quickly here before we break. Sure, got a minute, Ian? How are you, pal?
3: Good, good,
4: thank you.
0: Good, what's going on with you?
4: Yeah, I just was curious because I know some ladies that love playing sport and we all like to see ladies enjoy themselves. But the issue I have, and I'm wondering how, you, if it's preventable, is the amount of cruciate ligament damage in sports for female in sports such as softball and soccer.
1: So you're talking about specifically in the knee?
4: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Ligament. yeah. Yeah. The yeah. Well, there's a couple of them. Whether it's the anterior, the posterior. Um right. You you know you are right. It, it could be more common in females. There is a little bit more laxity there. Uh, the biggest oh. thing from an injury prevention standpoint. So you know when I was growing up, the I remember in gym class, uh, the teacher would get you in a circle uh, and right. make you stretch. Uh, and there's a conversation on what's more important, stretching, stretching or warming up. Which let's touch on that when we come yeah, back. Hang but that a second. Answer the question.
0: Yeah, we'll talk about that. 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. This number you want to call through. And for that free consultation, one 855 55 Lou or info at com. Dr. Pain Show, talk radio, AM 640. And uh, Ian, thanks for hanging in, fellow. Where were you? Pick it up, Dr. Uh, Doctor Lou?
1: Yeah, so we were talking about, uh, you know, there's it's it's a hard question to answer on exactly what you can do, but uh, one of the things uh, that we find prevents injuries is warming up. So, uh, within muscles, you have enzymes, and these enzymes uh, tend to work better at a certain temperature, and when enzymes are working, they just make the body work well. That's their job, is they're, uh, they essentially help the, the process of the body, um, and so what they basically found with a lot of research when they looked at what's better for injury prevention, stretching because that's what we all used to do, or or yeah. warming up. Warming up is definitely the better option. So my recommendation to anyone who wants to try to prevent injury, a musculoskeletal injury, is go through some type of a a warm-up phase. It can be stretching, but it has to be dynamic, where you actually get your heart rate up, you get your body warmed up. Uh, And this is one of the things I was talking about, speaking engagements at uh, workplaces that I do. One of the biggest things that I recommend, especially to people who uh, are on construction sites during the winter months, is Don't just get to work, get out of your truck, and start lifting heavy things. Walk around a little bit, get your body warmed up, especially if the temperature is cold, right? You have to work a little bit harder to get your body warm. Um, And so warming up is probably the thing that I could say uh, is the best recommendation to, at the very least, try to prevent uh, injury. The other thing is understanding your body. Some people uh, may already have a lot of laxity on one knee. Well, maybe wearing a brace then. Or if you've had a previous ACL injury, again, wearing a brace may help to prevent another one. Uh, So understanding the previous history of the individual is important to understanding what they're more likely to sustain going forward.
4: Yeah, I I understand. Like, I've taken the National Strength and Conditioning course, and they talk about it in terms of percentages. And apparently, women that have hit puberty, after puberty, it's like they're five to six times more likely to tear a cruciate ligament than a man is. Mm-hmm. So I, I was just, if, if that's in fact true, is, is there some way of either training them or can they wear, like you say, wear a brace? or I understand the warm-up thing. Uh, a friend of mine plays on a softball team, and she said, yeah, she says, oh, our team, we have 23 cruciate ligament wow. tears. Mm-hmm. And I'm going there's something something's got to be done so i yeah i was just wondering uh, what you
1: had in mind and i appreciate yeah. that. one of the other things that happens at puberty is once a female hits puberty their pelvis widens mm-hmm. uh and you know men have uh, when you look at the angle of the knee from the femur uh, there's something called the q angle which is the measurement of how straight is that uh, obviously on a female uh with a wider pelvis that angle there's more there's a bigger angle which means there's more pressure put on the knee that's why uh, women tend to sustain knee injuries like this. Uh, so again, also that goes back to understanding the female, not every female has a very, very wide pelvis, but some do. And if you do, then, then the likelihood of a knee injury may be increased. And this is where, uh, speaking with someone looking at the functional, um, uh, the way the body works specifically to an individual, its function is important to looking at, uh, or understanding, uh, problems that may rear their head in the future.
0: Hey, Walter, uh, welcome to the
1: show. Good afternoon.
4: Hi,
0: how are you?
1: Good, pal. What's going on?
4: Um, I was diagnosed with uh, bursitis just over a couple of years ago, Mm -hmm. and the doctor said it can probably go away in about three months or so. Well, it never went away. It got worse, and now I've got arthritis in it.
1: Okay, where Um, is the bursitis? Let's start with that.
4: It started in my right hip. Okay. And now it's in both of
1: them. Okay, so a bursa... bursa um, is is just a fluid filled sac that essentially it works kind of like a padding between a muscle and a bone that way, you know, the bone is not contacting the muscle during movement or else it would pop. So a bursitis is when that sac gets inflamed. Uh, it would not necessarily lead to arthritis. Uh, and so a bursitis is an inflammation process, so it needs to be treated from an anti-inflammatory perspective with things like, you know, ice, stretching, pain medications, releasing whatever pressure is causing that bursa to be inflamed. Uh, the chances are that if you had arthritis or you have arthritis in that hip, that arthritis has been developing much longer than just over the last two years of the bursitis.
4: Right, I agree with that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So what but I've
4: had, I've had, I forget what you call it, P V R, like a stem cell, where they take your blood.
1: Yep, yeah, yeah, yeah.
4: And that was really expensive. I couldn't keep doing it. It yeah. didn't work. Mm-hmm. And I've had uh, cortisone shots. Uh, okay. That didn't work. And yeah. also, they gave me some sort of sugar shot.
1: Okay. And you, this is in your hip. In my hip. Uh, which hip? Right. And where is the pain? In the front or the back? In the in the back side. In the backside. Yeah. So that's another thing to consider. Again, a lot of times there's pain in that general area of the body. Mm -hmm. People often say, oh, that's the hip joint. Well, it could also be the SI joint, which is a little bit higher. It could be the muscles in that area. Uh, It may not necessarily be the the hip joint, which is the articulation of the the femur and the acetabulum, Uh, just because that pain usually tends to be... you know, more more in the front, not necessarily always, but, uh, you know, Walter, that this is a good example where obviously me assessing your issue, I could take a look at it uh, and then give you that second opinion where I could say, okay, here's what I think's going on. In all likelihood, if those things have not worked, well... You know, maybe it's maybe the diagnosis is wrong or the options you've been given are wrong. So, uh, you, you know, if you're interested, give us a call. We'll take a look at it.
0: Good way to wrap it for today, Walter and everybody else. It's 1 855 Dr. Lou, D R L O U, 1 Dr. Lou or info at paincarecanada.com through email. Get that consultation happening, get the assessment, and move forward from there. Till next weekend, right here on Talk Radio AM 640. This has been the Dr. Pain Show.